So those are his three speeches, his three messages that he gives to the people. Now we go into the last section, which is chapters 34. Sorry, we the last section is chapters 31 through 34. And no longer is Moses giving speeches. Now he's going to transfer the power from him to Joshua. And then he'll give two final blessings. One is a general blessing over Israel, and the second is a blessing over the specific tribes as we go through that. So now we get into the transfer of power. Chapter 31, verse 1. Then Moses went and spoke these words to all of Israel. He said to them, Today I am a hundred and twenty years old. I am no longer able to get about, and Yahweh has said to me, You will not cross the Jordan. As for Yahweh your God, he is about to cross over before you. He will destroy these nations before you and dispossess them. As for Joshua, he is about to cross before you just as Yahweh has said. Yahweh will do to them just what he did to Sihon and Og and the Amorite kings into their land which he destroyed. Yahweh will deliver them over to you and you will do to them according to the whole commandment I have given you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or tremble before them. For Yahweh your God is the one who is going with you. He will not fail you or abandon you. So he makes it very clear. You are now about ready to go into the land. And you're going to go under Joshua's leadership. And God will give you victory over the enemy. God will be with you. God will protect you and dispossess the people. And after he says it, he says, be strong and courageous for Yahweh is with you. Now that is a key phrase that keeps getting mentioned all throughout the Bible. Jesus Christ's version of that statement is, fear not, for greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And so what he's making it very clear is, if you've learned any lessons from your parents' failures and from the successes that you've seen with Sihon and Og and the Amorites is that anything is possible with God and that no enemy is formidable when God is with you. And we know that, but that is probably the hardest lesson for us to learn because no matter how much we learn that and how much we know that, we still keep defaulting to our own means and our own efforts and we're still filled with anxiety and worries and fears when it comes to things. And what God is saying is this book should be teaching you that you have no reason for any of that. And the only way that you can overcome that is, remember the whole point of Deuteronomy is remembrance is the key to faithfulness. Remembrance is the key to faithfulness. Verse 7, Then Moses called out to Joshua, in the presence of all of Israel, be strong and courageous, for you will occupy these people, accompany these people to the land that Yahweh promised to give your ancestors and, your, and you enable them to inherit it. Yahweh is indeed going before you. He will be with you, and he will not fail you or abandon you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Verse 9, Then Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the Levitical priests who carried the ark of Yahweh's covenant and all of Israel's elders. He commanded them at the end of seven years, at the appointed time, 
of the cancellation of debts at the Feast of Temporary Shelters when all of Israel comes to appear before Yahweh your God in the place he chooses, you must read this law before them within their hearing. Gather the people, the men, the women, and the children, as well as all the resident foreigners in your villages, so they may hear and thus learn about and fear Yahweh your God and carefully obey all the words of this law. Then their children, who have not known this law, will also hear about it and learn to fear Yahweh your God for as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So Moses basically commands them, Every time you're in the year of Jubilee and you're celebrating the festivals, the temper, the, the booths, so the booths festival, remember the tabernacles or tents, whatever you want to call it, is where they would go live in tents for seven days. On the eighth day, they would come back in. That was to remind them of their time in the wilderness, not being in the land, going back into their homes on the eighth day, which is, represents new beginnings, would be a reminder that God gave them the land. So every 50 years, you are then at that festival to read the law again, as if you're going back in the land. And that generation is then to renew the covenant and swear their allegiance. So this is what God has commanded them. Every single 50 years, with every new generation, you are to read this covenant law out loud, all five books of the law, and they are to listen, and they are to pledge their allegiance to this, and do the animal sacrifices and enter into this covenant. And that's going to happen every single generation. So this is important to understand. This is not a one-time covenant. The Mosaic covenant is not a covenant that God cut once and then it's done and, and just lasts. It's a covenant that has to be renewed. And we saw that when they made the covenant back in Exodus chapter 24 and 25, or 24, they immediately broke it in 32, and they had to renew it. And then they've had to renew it again now. And so they're going to constantly have to renew this because this covenant is a conditional covenant. And it's based on their obedience. And if they don't obey, then it's gone. Or the next gen the generation dies, the next generation swears. This is the only covenant that's like that. It's the only covenant that requires constant renewal. And this is one of the reasons why the, New the Second Testament writers will say that it's a temporary covenant. In some ways, it's a temporary covenant in the fact that it only lasts one generation. You have to constantly renew it. In the second sense, it's a temporary covenant because it can't really save anybody. And it will later be replaced by the new covenant in Jesus Christ. And so they are to take this law, they are to hold it, and they are to protect it. Now, to kind of give you some foreshadowing, after a while, Israel will actually stop doing this. They'll stop renewing the covenant every year which is amazing because they won't renew the covenant and yet God will keep honoring his end of the covenant. It's like, they didn't even love you enough to renew the covenant. And then eventually they'll lose the covenant. Later, a king by the name of Josiah will come along and he's remodeling the temple and they discover the law and they're like, oh my gosh, it's a law. We haven't seen this in forever. And jo Josiah is the king and he's never read the law ever in his life. Even though Deuteronomy chapter 17 says... The king, the first thing he's supposed to do is copy the law in his own writing, but he's never done that. And so Israel will get so bad that not only will they not renew this covenant, they will actually lose the law and the covenant. But because of the word of God can never die, God will still have it somewhere hidden in some basement somewhere for somebody to discover one day. Verse 14, Then Yahweh said to Moses, The day of, our, of your death is near. 
Summon Joshua and present yourselves in the tent of meeting. So Joshua presented themselves to the tent of meeting, and Yahweh appeared in the tent in the pillar of cloud that stood above the door of the tent. Then Yahweh said to Moses, You are about to die, and then these people will begin to prostitute themselves with the foreign gods of the land into which they are going. They will reject me and break my covenant that I have made with them. And at that time, my anger will erupt against them and I will abandon them and hide my face from them until they are devoured. Many disasters and distresses will overcome them so that they will say at that time, have not these disasters overcome us because our God is not among us. And that's kind of depressing. (laughs) Moses, you spent the last 40 years with these people. You've been giving the law. You've been interceding on their behalf. You've become a shield, protecting them from my wrath and judgment. And they finally have gotten their act together. They're obedient. They're going to enter the land. But when you die, it's all going to go down into the drain. Your life work. That's depressing. That's depressing. Like I said a couple weeks ago, after you know the history of Israel and God, it's like, why would anybody ever sign up to be a prophet? <laughs> so, so this is just not fun. But I will certainly hide myself at that time because of all the wickedness that they have done by turning to other gods. Verse 19. Now write down for yourselves the following song and teach it to the Israelites. Put it into their very mouths. So this song may serve as a witness against the Israelites. For after I have brought them to the land, I promise to their ancestors one flowing with milk and honey, and they eat their fill and become fat. Then they will turn to other gods and worship them. They will reject me and break my covenant. Then when my disasters and distresses overcome them, this song will testify against them, for their descendants will not forget it. I know the intentions that they have in mind today. Even before I bring them to the land, I have promised. So on that day, Moses wrote down this song and taught it to the Israelites. And Yahweh commissioned Joshua, son of Nun, be strong and courageous, for you will take the Israelites to the land that I have promised them, and I will be with you. Now this is interesting, because in a lot of places in the Bible, we're told that Moses wrote a song after the Exodus, or Hannah wrote a song when she found out she was going to give birth to a child. And all these different people write different songs. But this one, God says, this is my song. This is a song that you're supposed to teach them. There's really no places that we ever see God writing a song for the people, really. There's kind of one in the book of Revelation when it says the angels are singing a song. And so the implication is that God probably taught them that. But this is really the only time where we have a song that God wrote and gives to them. This is what he commands them. Now, this song serves two purposes. This is the other thing. It's like, usually you write songs to inspire people or to express your emotions. God says this song is a testify against them. This is a testif- um, testament against them. And basically, the song is going to be about the faithfulness of God. So when they're unfaithful, you're going to think, wow, you totally deserve that because look at this song and how awesome God is. The second reason for the song is for them to sing it when they're in exile. God says that they're going to go into exile and they're going to be punished because God is going to hide his face from them and not bless them. And then when they're exiled, they'll remember this song and they'll sing it. And it basically will become the song that they'll sing themselves back in the land, basically. Back into the arms of God. 
And so in one sense, it's a song that says, look at what you had. How could you have walked away from that? That God is amazing. But on the other hand, hand, it's supposed to be the song to remind them of what they had. You never appreciate what you had until you lost it. And it becomes a song that's supposed to soften the heart and bring them back to God. And so this is the song. Now, right, remember too, at the same time, before we get in the song, he's also transferred the power to Joshua. Now, it's interesting that at key moments in history, God likes to send leaders in pairs. And they're, they're usually very complementary, but very different to each other. So he sends this pair in the very beginning, and the first pair is Moses and Joshua. And Moses is the lawgiver and the prophet who basically intercedes on behalf of the people. And Joshua follows in the footsteps. And it's interesting here is Joshua is not beginning a new ministry. He's continuing the ministry of Moses. Because remember, Moses was supposed to go into the land and go, and, but he couldn't. So Joshua's continuing that. And Joshua kind of plays the role of a warrior. So there's that pairing. Then we're going to get to another pairing later, who will be David and Solomon. And David is the king who conquers the land and that kind of stuff. And then Solomon is the son who brings the peace and maintains the peace for a very long time until that whole like downhill idolatry thing. But, and then we get to a third pair of Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah brings great judgments, and Elisha brings salvation. And in all three of these cases, we then have a fourth pairing of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. And you see these pairings all throughout the book, and in some ways these characters foreshadow Christ. Because in the same way that Moses is a prophet who gives the law and intercedes on their behalf, Jesus is the one who comes along and gives a new law and dies on our behalf as an interceder. Then Joshua comes along as a warrior and a conqueror who takes the land, like Jesus in the second coming comes as a conqueror and takes the land. And then you've got David, who is the conqueror, who conquers the land, just like Joshua does, but Solomon who brings the peace, just like the second coming of Christ is both a conquering and a millennial reign, so to speak. And with Elijah, you have the judgment and the cursing and the rejection of Israel, but Elisha is this abundance of grace to both the Jews, but mostly the Gentiles. In the same way, John the Baptist kind of comes along, and Jesus and John both judge and condemn Israel, but Jesus also demonstrates an incredible amount of grace and healing and forgiveness for the people as he even accepts the Gentiles. And so a lot of these characters, even though they're incredibly flawed, God takes their strengths and builds them as a coupling to foreshadowing this coupling of Jesus Christ and what he'll do in his ministry. And so what you need to see here is that we're foreshadowing the, the intercession of Moses, like Christ, bringing the Exodus and the law, which is leading to the taking of the promised land, like Christ will come back one day and take this promised land, the entire planet. In that sense, this song becomes a testimony for us too, because it's a reminder of who God is and that he gives us the land. Verse 24. When Moses finished writing on the scroll the words of this law and the entirety, 
He commanded the Levites who carry the Ark of Yahweh's Covenant, take the scroll of the law and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh your God, and it will remain there as a witness against you today. Most scholars agree that the law is the entire Torah. For I know about your rebellion and your stubbornness. Indeed, even while I have been living among you to this very day, you've rebelled against Yahweh. You will be even more rebellious after my death. Gather to me all your tribal elders and officials so I can speak to them directly about these things and call the heavens and the earth to witness against them. For I know that after I die, you will totally corrupt yourselves and turn away from the path that I have commanded you to walk. Disaster will confront you in the days to come because you will act wickedly before Yahweh inciting them to anger because of your actions. Then Moses recited the words of this song from start to finish in the hearing of the whole assembly of Israel. So one of the last things that Moses says, remember God says, oh, by the way, you're going to die, but after you die, they're all going to get corrupted. Moses is like, I'm not keeping that. So he goes to the people and says, you're all going to get corrupted. And you're all going to walk away and God is going to judge you. How would you like that? Like, remember, Moses is your leader. Like, this is far greater than any pastor you've ever had, any coach that you've ever had, any inspirational mother or father you've ever had. Moses is the greatest prophet that the world has ever seen other than Jesus, who led them out of their bondage of slavery into the promised land. And his final, like, go get them speech before he dies is, you're going to fail miserably. And you're just going to become so corrupted and so wicked that God's going to take you into exile. The prophets never sugarcoated anything. They never sugarcoated anything. 